in conclusion, <laughs> I'm not sure this is. That's your best message ever. <laughs> Wait, did I get to singing the Hallelujah chorus? Everybody does know what Hallelujah means, right? Praise God. Thank Praise God. the Lord. Praise right? Okay. Just wanted to be sure. Go around saying stuff and you don't know what it means. <laughs> I'm going to be in Luke 24, and you can pray that I don't step on Randy's toes if I don't know what he's doing next week. <clears throat> I'm mainly going to be in um, in Luke 24 and verses 13 through 35, which is the account of the walk to Emmaus. And um, if you're familiar, this is the very last chapter in Luke. So it's after Jesus has been crucified and laid in the tomb. And most everyone is devastated because they think everything's over. Jesus is dead. The world's coming apart. Sounds like today. Yeah, only then it was even worse. <laughs> you know, from beginning to end, the Old Testament presents an expectation that someone very special is coming. Genesis 3.15 speaks of the seed of the woman who comes to crush the head of the serpent, the tempter, Satan. Abraham was promised that through his offspring, blessing or curse would come to all the nations. Isaac was the son of the promise, the promise that God would give Abraham a son in his old age, and he was offered to God as a sacrifice, but was redeemed by a substitute, the, lamb, the ram that was caught in the, the thicket. So Isaac was willing to be sacrificed, and Abraham was willing to give his son, but God won't take a man to be a sacrifice. So he spared Isaac and provided a ram. Joseph was raised up to bless the people, all the people, but was first rejected by his brothers and ended up in prison, but later they came to him for forgiveness. Judah offered himself in place of his brother and received the promise of a scepter, a ruling rod. And the, it was said of Moses that a prophet like him would be, would be raised up in the future. David of the tribe of Judah was raised up by God to deliver and shepherd Israel. God made a covenant with David to raise up his son and seat him on the throne, establishing his kingdom forever. The covenant with David is the key to the messianic prophecy. Examples you get come from Isaiah, who prophesies, makes, gives prophecies of a son who establishes the throne of David forever with peace and justice and righteousness. Jeremiah's prophecy comes with a, of a righteous branch of David who's going to reign with justice and wisdom. 
Zechariah has a prophecy of a humble, righteous king bringing salvation, speaking peace to the nation, and ruling from sea to sea. And there are on and on of prophecies given about the coming king. These are the prophecies that Jesus says speak of him that have to be fulfilled. And they have to be fulfilled when Peter takes his sword and cuts off the the ear of the high priest's servant in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, put up your sword. Don't you know that I can appeal to my Father and he will send more than 12 legions of angels? But then, how can the Scriptures be fulfilled? The Scriptures can't be fulfilled if Jesus (coughs) doesn't give his life up. If he doesn't give his life, if he saves his life, we lose ours. If we gain our life, Jesus has to lose his. Key among the prophecies of Isaiah are the predictions of a coming servant that will bring Israel to God and be a light to the nations, who will bear all of our sorrows and griefs, be wounded for our iniquities, bruised for our transgressions, and by whose stripes we will be healed. He would be like a lamb led to the slaughter, yet resurrected. We're going to look mainly at, like I said, Luke 24, 13 through 35, as two of Jesus' disciples are walking to the small village of Emmaus, which is about two hours away from Jerusalem. And Jesus gives them a teaching lesson on the things concerning himself and the scripture. First of all, though, just a very quick look at the first 12 verses of the chapter, 24, 1 through 12, where it says, Early in the morning of the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the women came to the tomb of Jesus with the intention of wrapping his body in embalming uh, spices. They find the stone has been rolled away and Jesus' body is missing. Suddenly, they see two men, and they say, in dazzling cloths, clothes, and they appear before the women, and the women are terrified. These two men, they're later identified as angels, they ask the question, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I know everyone won't see it this way, but my father's buried in a cemetery in Newport News, Virginia, And they asked me, have you gone recently? I said, no. Why do I look for the living among the dead? He's not there. It's just, you know, I know there's a lot of people very sentimental, but I know where he is, and it's not in the cemetery in Newport News, so I don't have to worry about going there. But anyway, they tell the women, he's not here, he has risen. They told, that Je- they told the women that Jesus had told them before what was going to happen. And then the, Je- then the women remembered Jesus' words. The women then leave the tomb, and they report these things to the apostles and to the others that are gathered together. But even though some of these women are well-known to the apostles and trusted, they don't believe them. Peter was serious enough 
or curious enough, to run to the tomb and look for himself. He sees the linen cloths and nothing else, and he returns home. He's amazed, but he's skeptical. And then we get to the text. And the text says that very day, so the very day, the morning that the women go to the tomb, and then that same day, two of, the, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking and looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and then they they did not find his body. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of the women who were with us, or some of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road when he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told that what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. All the verses of 1 through 12 happened in the morning while the disciples were still together. Now it's later in the day. 
and they are dispersed in different places. And two of them are walking on the way to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're in a state of shock, great sadness. There's grief over what has just happened in Jerusalem. Things that were confusing to them and had turned their world upside down. They're so engrossed in the conversation that they didn't even notice immediately the stranger's presence. We're told their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Now, this happens to us from time to time as far as not recognize somebody, maybe because they're dressed differently, maybe because it's been a long time since we've seen them, maybe because they've changed so much physically since the last time we saw them. Anyway, our minds can be dull sometimes, but that's not the case here. God did something to keep these disciples from recognizing who Jesus was. To them, he was a stranger. It seems that the Lord is teaching them something even at this moment. Jesus could have just said, look at the nail prints in my hand, but he didn't. He wants to teach them to walk by faith and not by sight. What he teaches all of us. The scriptures foretold so much of what the Messiah would have to go through but they didn't understand the things concerning him in all the scriptures at all. So he patiently explains to them or explains how they point to him. But before he does this, he asks them about their conversation with one another. Cleopas, one of the two disciples, doesn't understand how this stranger can possibly be unaware of all the monumental events that took place in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, what things? They say the things about Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet of God, mighty in word and deed, and in all all the people. And how they had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. But their own chief priest delivered him up to be crucified. Now, I think it's important to see that they placed the blame on the Jews, not on the Romans, to Jesus' crucifixion. Rome certainly had their portion of the blame, but the greater burden rests on the Jews. Now it's the third day since all these things have happened. And some women were amazed them because they went to the tomb of Jesus but didn't find his body but returned saying they had seen a vision of angels who said Jesus was alive. And they said, some of us went to the tomb and found it just like the women said, but we didn't find him either. In these verses, there is so much confusion in the minds of the disciples. They haven't understood the message relayed to them by the women. They didn't understand the significance of the tomb being empty. And they certainly didn't understand the faith they should have had in Christ as a fulfillment of the promises in Scripture. They had faith in Christ as the redeemer of a physical kingdom, but they failed to see him as the ruler of an eternal kingdom. Their expectations caused them to forget what they should have known from God's word, that Christ's crucifixion had been predicted 
but so it is. So had his resurrection. Frankly, they're blinded to what the religious leaders saw very clearly. If you remember, Jesus told the high priest in Matthew 26, when they had arrested him at night, who he is. He affirmed that he was the Christ, the Son of God, to the high priest and everybody there. The high priest had put him under oath to answer him, and he said, I'm what you just said. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. No confusion, no wishy-washy, straight out. They all heard it. In the very next chapter, the religious leaders asked for a guard for the tomb of Jesus because he said he was going to rise on the third day. And they want to be sure that he doesn't. And they want to be sure that nobody steals the body and then claim that Jesus had risen from the dead. So the religious leaders knew what God had said in the scriptures, but they rejected it. They had no faith in the scriptures that they claimed to believe. Remember when the wise men came to Jerusalem from hundreds of miles away, following a star to see a newborn king. They asked where he was because they had come to worship him. And King Herod gathers together all the wise men, I mean the the priests, the chief priests and the scribes, And they told him that Bethlehem was the place the king would be born. Did you ever notice that not one Jew went with the wise men to Bethlehem to check it out? Not one. These are the ones that are supposed to know the scripture. Well, they did. They knew where he was going to be born, but they rejected it. They didn't care. They knew the scriptures, but they had no faith. And nothing has changed. In 30 years, nothing's changed. But Jesus teaches these disciples patiently. For though they had forgotten, though they had misunderstood what he said, he's going to lead them to the right understanding that what the scriptures say is true. He's going to lead them to faith even while his identity is hidden from them. And he begins to do this in verse 25, where again it says, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And as a... Another scripture just to read, to familiar, to cause you to bring back to your memory. This is what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. If that's true of the written word, it's also true of the living word, and that's what Jesus is doing. 
He's teaching them, he's correcting them, and he's training them in righteousness. They've missed the message, and he's correcting them. He calls them foolish and slow of heart because the fool lives his life without reference to God. But Jesus isn't even taking issue with them that they failed to understand him, but they haven't understood the prophets. Again and again in the Gospels, you find this phrase, this took place to fulfill what was written in the prophets. If you don't know the prophets, which the Jews claim to know, how are you going to know what's true and what's not? When it tells you from beginning to end, one prophecy after another, that a, that one's coming, that he's special, this is what he's going to do, this is what he's going to go through, but they don't know the prophets. Before the world was ever created by God, he determined that these prophecies would come to pass. That the world that he would create would fall and that he would redeem them by his own son before anything ever was. When Jesus says Moses and all the prophets, he's saying all the scriptures, all the Old Testament, because the New Testament didn't even exist then. So he tells these two disciples that here in the scriptures is the explanation of what you've just seen in Jerusalem. It's all in the scriptures. People, disciples, it's all there. As they approach their destination, Jesus acts like he's going to continue to go further. And they urge him to stay with him. I mean, it's getting nightfall. It gets dark. This is a small village. The paths around it are not exactly highways. They're difficult. They're not lit. It's going to be dark. There may be wild animals out there, certainly robbers out. So Jesus accepts and goes in to stay with them. And they recline at a table to eat. And at the table, Jesus takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. Now, some people have called this the first Lord's Supper in the New Testament. Because now it's New Testament time. Jesus is there, he's risen. It's not like the Last Supper. That was the Old Testament. This is New Testament. Now, whether this is can be classified as communion, I don't know. But he does break bread, their eyes are open, and he disappears. Jesus vanishes from their sight. And now they reflect on the sensations they had as they were walking along with him while Jesus was explaining the scriptures to them. They say, what was not, or were not our hearts burning within us? Well, I can imagine vaguely how your, my heart would be burning if Jesus was walking with me. Probably be collapsed on the floor somewhere. And there's been an immediate change in them. Just a short while before, they had urged Jesus to stay with them because it was getting dark along with these 
other things that could have been a problem. Now that doesn't matter anymore because they're headed back to Jerusalem. Right now, they just got there. They're going back. Another two-hour walk back to where they just came from, and it's dark. It doesn't make any difference. Now, any kind of trepidation is gone. They don't care now. They're so excited. They've got to share the most wonderful news they've ever had with the others. So they find the 11 and the others, and they share their experience, and they also find out that the Lord has appeared to Peter. Imagine the great excitement in the room. Now imagine how even that increased because the next sentence says, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. Well, actually, they're not all that excited because they think they're seeing a spirit a ghost but Jesus calms them by showing them his wounds and his hands and feet and by eating with them I can't quite grasp how they're afraid at least two of them just got through seeing Jesus two hours before or two or three hours before he's appeared to Peter they have the testimony of the women and now Jesus appears and they're, they're, they're terrified. You would think it would just be hallelujah courses going on all over the room. But it takes a few minutes to get there. I want to read the, the final few verses without comment, almost. As they were talking about these things, this is with the other disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Jesus was asking a lot of questions of the disciples. Why are you doing this and why this? It's No telling what kind of questions he's asked me. But they were, anyway. He said, see my hands and my feet, that is, I myself touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were, and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? So this wasn't enough. He's got to eat something to further prove it. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. This is the Jewish way of saying the entire Old Testament. Moses which is the first five books, the prophets and the Psalms. That's all of it. That Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, until Pentecost. And he led them out as far as Bethany. Bethany's a mile and a half away from Jerusalem. So there's another walk coming on this time with Jesus. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And if you want to read Luke part 2 in the book of Acts in the first chapter, you can see that they see Jesus going up in the clouds. And if you want something interesting, look at clouds sometimes in a concordance and see how many times it's mentioned with God riding on the clouds, being hidden by the clouds, Jesus going up in the clouds, returning in the clouds, how he'll return and we'll see him in the clouds. Go to Daniel 7 and you'll see the vision that Daniel has. And he has the vision of the Ancient of Days, God the Father, sitting on his throne. And one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds and sitting next to the Father. So you see him going up in Luke and Acts. And you see him coming to his throne in heaven in Daniel. Well... Let's pray. Jesus is so easy for us to see what others should have seen after we know what's happened. But Lord, the the truth is our eyes are blinded until you open them and our hearts are hardened until you soften them. So help us, Lord, to, to see you clearly ever more clearly, Lord, day after day, and to cherish you with all that's within us. And we thank you for the word, Lord, and we pray that we don't add to it or take away from it in any way, that it's your word, Lord, and not ours. And we thank you in your name. Amen.